0: Toleration, be the love. Before pride and exaltation, be the love. Be
1: the love. You are listening to Be the Love to Awaken Our Souls. We are souls on the journey, and our mission is to awaken all humans to a higher state of consciousness and live vibrantly as spiritual beings.
0: this is Nicholas David
2: Man. Namaste. My name is Nishtula Joy Davey.
0: This is Ron Interpreter, and you're listening to Be the Love Podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Be the Love, to awaken our souls. Thank you again so much for tuning in this week. I'm Stacey Musial.
2: And I am Brenda Carey with our special guest, Marcy Tallender. We are your co-hosts and souls on the journey, and we are on a mission to raise the consciousness of humans and the planet, and we need your help please spread the word to your family and friends and join us every week. Consider becoming a Patreon supporter or a sponsor to help with the operating costs like editing and the many hours we spend creating these shows with quality guests and content. And if you have resonated with our mission, support us in a way that raises your vibration to love.
1: And if it feels safe for you, I'd like to invite you to take a moment to get centered with us. I'd like to begin by inviting you to take a beautiful, cleansing breath in through your nose and out through your mouth, releasing anything that is keeping you from being present. And take another deep breath in through your nose, breathing in calm, peaceful, loving energy, and breathing out anything you're ready to release in this now moment. And take one more breath in through your nose breathing in light and love for yourself, and breathe out that light and love and send it back to all of humanity, remembering that you always, always have your breath to come back to. Our guest today is Marcy Tellender. Marcy is a registered expressive arts therapist and licensed professional counselor in New Mexico, ecotherapist, award-winning writer, filmmaker, and journalist. She is a ritualist, mythographer, TEDx talk presenter, and an integrative medicine woman who stands at the intersection of ancient wisdom and cutting-edge knowledge. She is known as the godmother of her community and a traditional wisdom bearer, virtual weaver, and guide from her ancestral northern traditions of Norse, Germanic, and Celtic practice. As the executive director of Earth Wisdom Institute, she guides people in honoring their local spirit of place. You can find her celebrating local history, artists, and elders through Earth Justice events with storytelling workshops and inclusive intergenerational community events. So thank you so much for being here with with us today, Marcy. I'm so excited to jump into this conversation.
0: Thank you, Stacey. It's so nice to be with you again. Mm-hmm. And thank you for that deepening and expanding breathing time. I think mm-hmm. that's so important just as we're pausing today to share these kinds of mysteries and I think magic.
1: Absolutely. And so I'm, you know, just for listeners, i'm I'm really excited about this conversation. I first met Marcy um, in Mexico at a beautiful location, Buena Fortuna, and just her wisdom and her, the way that she presents the knowledge is so beautiful. So I'm really excited to have her here today to to share this wisdom with all of you. Um, And I'm
2: so excited to learn from you. I've, I've heard many beautiful things.
1: Thank you, Brenda.
0: I'm ready to rock and roll.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, tell us a little bit about your journey and what has led you down the spiritual path.
0: I, I think one part of my journey begins when I'm seven years old and continues. I'm now 76 and I have never done anything that I didn't want to do and did as a seven-year-old. I am still living in a realm that includes other than and greater than human beings, that includes a whole cast of archetypal embodiments from nature. And because I grew up in the countryside outside of Peoria, Illinois, and now live on an island uh, near crested Butte, surrounded by a river and with a trout stream that runs through it, I have maintained what feels most important to me to be devoted for a large part of a human lifetime, 50 years, to protecting and preserving the fragile balance of and health of our natural world. And so that is what I'm doing here in this great watershed, the, the greatest watershed in Colorado, which is the greatest watershed state in the lower 48. It's a joy to be in so much flow and visionary connection with nature. Mm. My my journey then follows that path through what I call first nature. I distinguish between second nature and first nature for myself. Second nature being something that we are taught or that is a parts of our first nature are educated or even punished out of us by a patriarchal culture that most often focuses on dominance. So a big part of my work really from very early on in activism, around supporting animals and the plant world around us as a child is focused on re-sacralizing my and anyone who wishes to share our relationship with first nature, that which is born into us, that which keeps us related to other species and life forms, that which allows us to be in right relationship as we work for earth and court and marry earth. This is a deep relational experience that has been the most profound marriage of my life. And it it comes forward into the present by drawing and drawing from and honoring ancient wisdoms and ways of women's forms of seeing for the people and the planet, and it brings healing for the present and hope for the future. I think of it as the place where nature meets nurture and we can make a difference.
1: Wow, there's so many that. juiciness in there that I want to jump into. Right? <laughs> um, I, you know, I just want to kind of back up a little bit and, you know, and because you mentioned in your bio, um, I read that you were thought of as the grandmother, or excuse me, godmother <laughs> of your community. And there's so much beauty in that, you know, that depiction. And so I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about what this means to you and your community as you bring forth this, this sounds like maybe archetypal wisdom um, in that message.
0: Well, first, I should tell you that we have this wonderful group called the Wows, the Wild Women of Wisdom. Mm.
2: We- I love that. Sign me up. <laughs> Just sign me up.
0: <laughs> we invite all crones. Women of age, wisdom, and power. We're reclaiming, as so many women across the world are, that honorific of crone. We're taking it out of the demonization and appropriation of the patriarchal culture. And we're reclaiming it as a sign of our readiness and our willingness to be women of the people, to be here for our communities, to sit in council for any group or individual that wishes to receive the knowledge of women who've lived over 60 years, who are holding our wise blood, we are in moon pause, and women who understand that being humble is important, but false humility doesn't help us. We knows what we knows. And we want to share it. So that group comes out of the beautiful blessing and privilege that I have received from my community by receiving that name. And in almost any village, and we are a village, Crested Boot is definitely a village, even an island, we could call it, at the end of a two-lane highway, two miles up, where history and mystery come together and surrounded by wilderness areas. So it's very unique. And the village is a place that's really predominantly dependent on the seasonal cycles and the tribe and all of the skills that individuals have to offer. So in the ancient tradition, a godmother is someone who oversees. I, I think of this This embodiment. It's not a role, it's an embodiment. And in the ancient sense, it is a form of theological embodiment, of of drawing through those archetypal, powerful forms of the divine feminine, just through a small two legged and whatever I can do to serve. So in my community, it, it has to do with my founding and development of an ancestral and I would say folk um, revolution form of celebration and ceremonial sharing of our harvest. And that particular series of events is called Vinotak, which honors the elders who founded our community after the First Nation people, the Ute people, And I want to offer a land acknowledgement right now and say so much gratitude. Thank you to the Ute people and this land of the Pavant where the waters come together because I am privileged and blessed to be a guest on their land. And so the next phase of peoples who came into this community were miners and of course ranchers who homesteaded. And the miners were predominantly from Northern, uh, Central, and Eastern Europe. And so when I moved here in 1977, the town was really moving toward becoming a ghost town. It had no paved streets, which I loved. Um, Many of the Elk Avenue, which is our main street, windows were boarded up. There were about 600 full-time people in the community, and it included some of the old-timers, the ranchers and the miners. And as a journalist, I had come to Crested Butte to join some friends who were buying into our local newspaper. And we had come to fight the molybdenum mine, the big extractive mining conglomerate that Amex, called Amex, that was hunkering over our Mother Mountain. Mount Emmons was the formal name. Our name for her is the Red Lady. And there's a beautiful story about that that really launches much of the work of cultural animation, of reanimating, remembering, re-energizing, rewilding our community. So those elders from Slavic and Germanic and Celtic British tradition had very ancient, beautiful celebrations and seasonal cycle events that they brought with them or remembered from the old country. And as I was a journalist, and we were preparing, our village was preparing Mm. for our centennial, the 100-year anniversary of becoming a town site, I was collecting stories from the elders. Mm. But that took about six years to really gently move into the community as a flatlander. I was coming from Chicago. And... The place where the elders met, especially the men, was at Tony's Conoco Station and hardware store. (laughs) It's the center of town with the long liar's bench in front. And so the men would meet outside, sitting all along that bench, or inside, when the weather was uh, more intense, around the pot-bellied stove. And the then world's boon and crockett record elk the rack was right there overlooking everything and the men were sitting around this pot-bellied stove when I first walked in in horsehair filled chairs and you know business was going on at Tony's you know mostly women coming in to buy various things but the men were there to share but when I walked in they became dead silent Mm. and uh, this went on for a while but I was really determined I, I wanted to be long be long in my new community and I wanted to serve the community and at that time although I think it's hard to imagine now there was little or no interest in the oral narratives of the then generation born before the turn into the 19th, from the 19th into the 20th century, and their Mm. stories. They had seen more change than any other generation in the history of the world, the Mm. history of humanity in the world. And so I was borrowing Rilke's statement to protect and preserve the stored humanity Of place. And I felt very strongly about that, because no one had really done it. And I felt these people were in their 70s and 80s, in the 1970s and 80s. And I knew we would lose such riches, and also their charge to us as the next generation. But, you know, this is Uh, an influx of newbies like me, you know, many people identified themselves as hippies. We were the beginning of the wave of environmentalists, you know, environmental journalists. And we were pioneering in a way, especially here in a, a pioneer kind of place spirit. And so there were some big disparities and divisions between our views of 21st, 20th to 21st century mining molybdenum technologies, which decapitates a mountain and then toxifies river valleys all around it with non-biodegradable toxic substances called tailings. And we could see what was going to happen because we'd seen what had happened in Leadville and other places. So we were determined, starting 43 years ago, we were determined not to let that happen. And my part in supporting this village and community and place spirit was also to bring forward the indigenous European roots of our elders. Because I believe very strongly in that we're all indigenous to earth. And nobody knows or has the answer to how many bones, how many of our bones we need to feed the earth before we can be considered or call ourselves indigenous. And and I also had come from a family of storytellers who kept the stories of us and the old country alive as they came to the new world. So this was very very important to me. I have sat with many elders and culture bearers and knowledge holders and myth carriers from many, many different cultures and spiritual traditions. And I I had no interest in appropriating. What I had interest in was going deeper and deeper into my own lineage, our Euro-American roots, which have all been broken. You know, they've they've all been truncated in some way or another. And as I was sitting with the elders, and they eventually, in their deep generosity of spirit, included me and began to share with me these amazing stories that they brought with them. I, I was realizing that we European origin peoples are experiencing a form of PTSD, Mm. and that I think we're recognizing more and more because it's from the murder of our shamans and priests Mm. and priestesses and medicine people and green healers and midwives, and those, though some went underground and kept weaving our lineages Many of them were lost through the Inquisitions and land grabs, mm. takeovers and slavery, and you know, I mean, truly devastating experiences that that we have yet to reclaim. Mm-hmm. And so it it feels very important to me to continue on the path of my my northern tradition uh, and the ways that we know, the three of us know that we now must reclaim and regenerate and reanimate and ennoble those memories are through the imaginal realms through other than ordinary and consensus thinking realms this is how we are reclaiming that and our first natures in relationship with our rooted earth places
1: Mm -hmm. in europe Yeah, that's really, I think, such an important, important message because I think, you know, there's so many people, you know, and I've gone to many different countries looking for answers and, you know, trying to find purpose and, and meaning and, you know, and, you know, things that I've been wanting because there's like, I think in the Western culture, a lot of that has been taken away from us through colonization. And, you know, we think oh the consumerism right and 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 so all these different pieces and messages have been clouding our our indigenous like the western you know european roots um and so you know and then we try to you know go and there's a lot of this appropriation happening of indigenous cultures and you know indigenous and and so taking away and the, the reciprocity and instead of like finding our own roots um i've been really diving deeper and deeper into to my own roots and and there is there's like this this desire and this You know, recognition to see like how far back it really goes and and the importance of going into, you know, the roots of, you know, I have Ukrainian roots and Irish roots and, and so at Polish roots and, and so it's been such a fun and exciting time but i think it's important to recognize that we do we have those deeper roots there is a deeper wisdom there and there is that indigenous wisdom there we just have to move through some of the clouded um you know the the messaging that we've been conditioned with and so i think that's just so beautiful to hear and to you know have this conversation and I know, um, you know, you've, you mentioned too, just in your bio, being a weaver and, and weaving together these ancient wisdom with the contemporary cutting-edge knowledge that we have and, you know, recognizing that we do have this ancient wisdom. And, and so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that and how can we truly, you know, start bridging those pieces together for ourselves?
0: We are all holding hands and leaping together so your knowledge and Brenda yours and those that others have brought to the various retreats I lead and the events and festivals that I guide and co create with communities are some of those groundings, ground of being places, because every community, every neighborhood, every organization has its own deep history, much deeper than the mission statement. And I think of that as the manifesto, that which we believe the core values, we never want to see change. And when we begin to touch on those in our communities and we approach our groups as villages, co-dependent, collaborative, in communion, coming in union, unifying ourselves, and looking around us at how we've been influenced by our environment. We began to get in touch with the ways that our forebears, our foremothers, our forefathers lived and basically died so that we would have better lives. I often think of our foremothers and how important women's ways of seeing were and are. And you and I, as psychotherapists, can see these as the earliest forms of eco-psychology. I really believe that environment and the ways that women who basically were not given permission to be in the world in the same way men were. In fact, were very repressed, oppressed, suppressed. But women always met at the river to wash clothes, or around the well to draw water, or around the birthing bed, or the dying bed, midwifing. And here is where they exchanged the secrets of seeing for the people in the planet. Women had to become experts on men. We still are because we had to kind of sniff them as they came into the tent or the yurt or the hogan or the cabin in order to see what was going on in the world that we weren't allowed access to. And we also had to be able to be weather shamans and we had to be deep in green healing and hedge witchery. We needed to be able to read the movement of animals, migration, birds in flight. We needed to be able to look forward to protect and preserve the children, the extended circle of the community, the livestock, and the natural world. And so weaving is an understood practice. It's I don't know how ancient it is. In my Norse tradition, it's called safe working. And it is understood that this was a very ancient form of women's ability to send forth familiars. This is an old tradition in the craft, in European forms of uh, spiritual interaction with first nature, to send forth familiars into other worlds and to bring back healing information. Safe working was a way that women could see the enemy when they were sending the men out and women into battle. Safe working was the way that women would go into the midwifery process with a woman who is birthing and see into what she needed most in terms of the herbs and the modalities that would be used. Safe working is at least 2000 years old in my tradition, and it is being reclaimed just in the 21st century. It had to go so far underground that it's taken a long time for it to begin to grow and blossom again. And in order to stay in touch with that and with permission from my Swedish father, um, right before he walked on, he said, you know, honey, it's time for you to go to Sweden. And so I did. My community essentially did a crowdfunding process for me to send me there because I wanted to, to bring back some of the traditional ways of ceremonial communal exchange that were very powerful uh, during eras in Norse history and prehistory. And the process that is called a thing or a thing, spelled T H I N G, we, we use that now, especially in very contemporary usage. We say, yeah, this is a thing. Oh, yeah, that's a thing now. <laughs> the thing was a gathering at a large rock outcropping or a very special sacred sentinel tree in which all people came together to make decisions. All people. And that really appealed to me. I wanted to learn more about many of these ceremonial um, processes that could, could serve our community. I also went to go deeper into the study of runes the stones or bones or staves that have, in my tradition, a 24-image alphabet. And this runic alphabet, like all alphabets throughout humanity, has been considered sacred. Any way that we can record, that we can remember, that we can identify songs or the sagas of family traditions or maps has been considered sacred. It's where the word gospel comes from, God spell, or the concept of making a spell. So I wanted to sit with elders and culture bearers, women, and learn more about the runic traditions and how it can be helpful to humans making decisions, coming more deeply into their own ability to see and weave. And the concept of weaving in its most ancient form comes from fate or destiny. And again, in the Norse and Germanic traditions and others, other European traditions, destiny is a very powerful partner in healing work. And destiny, of course, assists us in weaving our ancestry, the past, into the present, and on into the future. And as psychotherapists, I think that's part of our responsibility and accountability. We call on the sacred other, you know, like that third magical, sacred energy that is in the vessel, in the container with us in our very best work. So I'm very clear that The priests and priestesses of the 21st century are psychotherapists and people who work in that realm, those realms, other than our ordinary consensus thinking realms, as well as in deep, careful science. So the idea of women's wisdoms and women's ways of seeing has been a major motivator for me Mm -hmm. and all of the celebrations that I do communal or group um, or large towns and cities has to do with getting in touch with what wanted to come through us. Mm -hmm. I have this notion that our foremothers would sit with their daughters and granddaughters And they would weave these, what we might call fairy tales of the future, and they would be talking about us. Mm. And as they talked about us, it was hard for anyone to believe. But as long as they could at least structure the hope, then they could live lives of great, I think, trauma, you know, this kind of PTSD that they kept going, women proceed, women keep going. And we want always to pass on whatever can continue that shared healing. And so that I feel was one of the great portals that I wanted to also include in the weaving process. As therapists, it's important for us to be able to sense the past, the history, the family of origin, and even the epigenetics, the way we express our genomes in the world and how those have been influenced. And as a neurobiologist, as a cultural anthropologist, this all made sense to me, you know, as a scientist, as well as being someone who works in psychology. So all of those wove together with the overarching understanding of destiny, the way life weaves through us, the fact that we can, if we work with the threads of destiny, can in fact be more and more in touch with our ancestral wisdom that can come forward and weave into how we serve our people and the planet. And even in terms of the four clairs, The ways that we can see other than in ordinary reality
2: Mm.
0: and help us offer recommendations to those who feel that that's appropriate for them about the future.
2: Mm. Mm. I so appreciate your just wise perspective and giving a lot of vocabulary to I think a lot of practices that um, don't aren't really addressed, at least, I mean, I have two young daughters and this idea of women seeing and how we pass down um, these ancestral traditions is just a beautiful metaphor of bringing forth that women's wisdom, um, our intuition and our knowing, and um I'm just so grateful that you're putting this work out into the world. And and which leads me to, I'm curious, how how do you see your work and the depth and breadth of your work? How do you see that being a part of the multi-generational culture? Um, and how do you see that working its way into many generations?
0: I don't think my work could exist without that as a hope, a form of healing and honoring. It is. As a child, I would say that I had a somewhat poignant, bittersweet view of life. Very early on, I recognized we don't live forever, and that we're standing on the shoulders of somebody, somebodies, and I had deep connections with my grandparents. And my grandfather was a great storyteller, and there was a lot of beauty and humor and intelligence that I wanted to learn about his memories and my grandmothers and so on. So I was drawn to the fact that life is very long and life is very short. Mm. And I wanted to be doing exactly what I wanted to be doing. If Mm. I was to do it for a long time, then let it be something that I love. In fact, something I would die for. Mm. I think that's really important. I think each of us needs to know what our manifesto is, what we stand for, and then what we would give our lives for so that we can get busy living for it. Mm. So those were things in my childhood that I didn't have language for, but I had feelings for, I had a felt sense for. And actually, I had the tradition of Catholicism, a mystery tradition that had so much ritual and so much ancient Tradition. I wasn't schooled in a Catholic school. I was allowed to pick and choose from the mysteries and the ancient uh, traditions. And it was the one Christian tradition that had a divine feminine, a goddess figure, Mary. And so, in spending all my time outside with my dog in the woods, in rural, Peoria and being given permission to choose whether I wanted to go to kindergarten or not, I chose not to, which was one of the most wonderful gifts my parents gave me because I remained in the woods. And in that weaving of what I was being taught through nature as a child, as all children who learn from the school of the natural world will do and then this mystery tradition that included a divine feminine, that's when I really began to recognize I I am a, a girl. I'm going to be a woman. And it's deeply important to me to find out from elder women the secrets. I knew there were secrets and I knew that there were profound forms of technology literal technology, intuition is a technology, that were passed on in secret through women. But sadly, as I got older, and then when I moved into my 50s, I started to audition elder women, women that I thought of as those who could be advisors and support mentors. And what I would hear is from the women that I was auditioning, essentially, every single woman said, I don't know anything. Oh, I don't have any special knowledge. I don't I, oh, oh, I couldn't possibly. I don't know. And I connected that with what I was raised being imprinted with and which girls still and women are today, which is saying, I don't know. After almost every other statement of wisdom or powerful question, a girl will ask something and then she'll say, oh, I don't know. Oh, oh, I don't know. And I'm a storyteller. We've got stories. Our stories are hugely important and humans suffer. Why would there be talk therapy if humans didn't suffer from the lack of the honor of being listened to? And so in this awareness that women and girls had lost their voices and confidence somewhere. I wanted to find out where then did that happen and what happened before it. So a lot of the language you hear me using is I'm reclaiming, as so many people are, I'm reclaiming the co-opted and appropriated and demonized language That was so sacred and powerful to us in prehistorical times in the time that Maria Gambutis you know the great scientist and visionary has proven I think without question was a holistic worship and religion of the earth goddess across all of Europe of what we now call old Europe And I had intuitions around that. So when you and your daughters are talking about women's wisdoms and ways of seeing, a real simple way that I can illustrate how that happens and has never been broken is the kinds of things that we'll say to a daughter. Like um, one example is gardening. And one time I was gardening with my grandmother and she said, you know, the best way to get rid of slugs is to put beer in a dish and put it out there in the middle of the garden and the slug will go for it and drown. And I said, Nani, how do you know that? And she said, I don't know. Hmm. Maybe my grandmother told me. Well, of course she did. And we offer these kinds of things. To our daughters and our sons and, you know, whatever uh, multi-gendered identification our children might have, we offer them without recognizing they're part of a weave of destiny Mm. that has been passed on and is still vibrant and vital and Mm. deserves to be reanimated.
1: Mm, that's so beautiful and so much wisdom right that we have that you know and we are taught you know i know i that was a mantra of mine for a long long time until i i realized that you know that i don't know you know and so until i realized no i do know and i'm gonna you know step into my confidence of knowing and trusting in my own wisdom and i think a lot of a lot of girls a lot of you know, women do um, have that. You know, and and so just to s- step into that and and trust in our own intuition and the wisdom, and I I think that it's important that we have, you know, the elders that we can look upon too that can help guide the way. And you know, we have to be open and um, you know, and and to receive that knowledge. I'm curious too. Yeah, On to that
0: saying that you and I were talking about that I, I brought into our community, Be More Wild. Than yes, be...
1: I was just going to ask you about that. Yeah,
0: yeah <laughs> it's now a bumper sticker. And I think everybody <laughs> needs to know what their bumper sticker is because yes. basically it's their sacred brand and their manifesto, like this mm-hmm. we are. And when I was little um, in a very rural school in the 50s, Um, I was considered just too much, too curious, Mm. too bright, too creative, too questioning, too collaborative. Mm. So my mother was told by my um, fourth grade teacher, uh, Mrs. Tallender, we're going to have to break Marcy's spirit. The faculty... Mm. And I have decided that she's just, you know, we can't have this in our school. And so they did it. They attempted. Let me tell you, they attempted. But what I learned in that was, okay, if this is the choice I have, either to be broken or to say I'm breaking the mold, then I'm breaking the mold. You know, watch me go. You know, it's either that or honestly child suicide. I mean, you know, there are so many of those that we don't honestly recognize because of this, this kind of horrible suppression. And, you know, sadly, my 1950s mother thought that whatever she did, whatever she's doing, I guess you have to do that. But in that same period, uh, in a very Midwestern way, I was also called a wiseacre which you know was a smart aleck or a brat. And I embraced that. And that is the name of the land that I steward here on this island, you know, in the Rocky Mountains and the Elk Mountains. And the, being more wild than good means, it doesn't mean don't be kind or don't be merciful, but I think what it means is stand for your medicine as First Nation people would say, as medicine women would say, stand for your medicine. What you believe in must be what you belong to and you are longing to share. And so reclaiming the language that has been stolen from us as women, like priestess, like integrative medicine woman, like wise child, like elder, These are deeply important, and those have been stolen from us in the greatest propaganda project in the history of humanity, the patriarchal overtake. Mm. And, you know, and it was so successful that we become terrified, absolutely terrified to do ritual, to bring forth ceremony, to share our spiritual traditions. And I refuse that. I absolutely refuse that because all children are born storying. And if they are not, if their first nature is not beaten out of them or educated out of them, they will be doing ritual. They will be doing sacred work. And I wanted that to be part of all children that I ever spent time with, their lives, as well as our direct action our sacred activism for our natural world and for the first nature that we share with all our relations.
2: Thank you so much, Marcy. I mean, I'm definitely going to take away, these two things stick in my brain and I'm saying this out loud to our listeners to stand for your medicine. I love that. I'm gonna definitely take that as a big takeaway for me and be more wild than good. And I think that just has such a beauty and such, yeah, feminine wisdom to it. And please tell our, our listeners I, have, I mean, those two things are great takeaways, but tell our listeners where they can find you and what you're currently working on.
0: Right now, I am working with the Colorado Creative Industries Organizations. You're probably familiar with it. It's a marvelous, overarching, all Colorado organization that funds and supports groups that are making art and making cultural change. And we are planning, we hope to, uh, we do apprenticeships at my week long or our week long series of events, which I have to say is secret. Too many people have come to our events that we can no longer invite people outside of our valley. However, this 40 year old very successful series of ceremonial earth justice, communal building, cultural animation, uh, arts for healing uh, series of events. We offer apprenticeships to people who want to come and volunteer and learn with our guild masters who have these very special cultural animations and community uh, unifying arts skills. So we're working with them. We just finished a beautiful presentation and a, a, a large installation and ceremonies for 400 people at our Center for the Arts. I'm also working on, or I do present a women's retreat, which is based on the ancient tradition especially celtic and british tradition of women's glamoury and this is an old scots understanding of the way that women can move into and weave an environment of enchantment and healing which offers all possibility and potential And the word glamour has been one of those words that has been co-opted and even demonized. Mm -hmm. And this retreat assists women in finding that kind of enchantment and wonder and the weaving of your own healing magic and beauty, ageless priestess path of beauty. Mm -hmm. And I'm also collaborating, as Stacey knows, with a beautiful priestess, Indigenous priestess, in Mexico, working with the great healing Amazonian entheogens and uh, healing traditions and medicines. And then there are all of the celebrations of the seasonal cycles, which are very important to me and our community, and also writing a book about the ways of creating that our community has truly refined and has deepened and expanded so that these forms of community reclamation, animation, regeneration, exalting and ennobling place spirit and resacralizing our relationship with the natural world can be more and more available to other people who are interested.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that. Those sound like some really beautiful offerings. I'm gonna have to check those out for myself and hopefully the listeners will also check those out and we will have your links in the show notes. Thank
0: you so much. Please, please, please also get in touch with me with whatever interest you might have through those because we are, we think of ourselves as a tapestry And that fabric includes every single one of you. And if you're hearing this and you understand the secret language, then you know who you are. You're part of the worldwide most ancient and cutting edge visionary tribe.
1: Mm, Yes, indeed. Well, thank you, Mercy, so much for being here with us today and sharing the space to have this most beautiful conversation. And thank you for listening to Be The Love podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to our show, please share the love by sharing it with your friends and family, giving us a five-star written review on iTunes or Spotify, or liking us on Facebook. And please consider supporting our mission to awaken our souls with a monthly donation that helps us with the operating costs of this podcast so we can continue to spread the love to contribute, visit our Patreon website at patreon.com forward slash be the love podcast. And stay tuned for more episodes being released on Mondays at 5.55 AM Mountain Time.